Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church, and thank you again uh, for being here. Whether it is your first time or you're new around here or you've been here for years, uh, thank you for jumping in and being here today. Uh, like Like Phil said, my name is Galen. I'm the lead pastor here, and I... I just want to say, it is a great time uh, for you to be committing or being a part of this community. Uh, Some of you maybe have been for years, but you're taking on new roles, you're leaning in, you're serving, you're doing more. Uh, I just want to start this week by simply saying, I wish you knew what all God was doing in and through this church. Uh, It's amazing for me to be able to sit in this chair now and to hear from you uh, week after week, um, every service, someone, man, I feel like God is moving in my life. I was praying this specific prayer and God answered. Or last week there's a, uh, a coincidence in my life that everyone else would see as coincidence, but I know that is God telling me he sees me, he loves me, he cares for me, he's moving in my life. Uh, to see people, uh, younger people, even in our own congregation, accepting the call to ministry. How God's calling me to be a pastor, I want to start that journey. It's so fun to see what God is doing through this place. So I'm glad that you're here, I'm glad you're a part of it. Uh, I also want to highlight just real Fast, the life group book. You see that around you? You can go ahead and grab one. Uh, you can begin to flip through it. You're like, Galen, this two-minute introduction's already too long, so I'm gonna check out and start looking through your book a little bit. Totally fine. Go ahead. Uh, look through it. We have different, different couple times a year, we launch life groups here at the church. This is one of our uh, most strategic ways for you to connect with God, connect with other people, and experience Christian community. Uh, we, we want people to be in these groups. It's great to come on a Sunday uh, to hear God's word, to worship through song and through our prayers, and that's fantastic, but oftentimes the things that help people grow the most in their faith, what keeps them strong in their faith when life gets difficult, is a small circle, a, a small group of people who love them, who know what's going on, and is praying for them as well. So if you're not in a group, I would encourage you to do that. You have a couple weeks to sign up. I want to highlight just the new or featured ones in the front there. We got a group for everybody, whether you want to do a shared activity, grow through like a Bible study or a curriculum, or a support group that'll meet you where you are and what you're dealing with uh, today. Some of these new ones, uh, just starting off at the beginning, a Bible study with Pastor Bob, his new one starting up. Uh, two and three, I hope you look at those. Whether you are a man or a woman, there is a Bible reading group for you. If you were to say, well, I can't set aside a whole evening to be away, what if you ingrained a new rhythm of Bible reading into your life where you'd open the Bible? Bible app every day with other people from our church, read the same things, and be able to comment and share conversation, building in the discipline of reading the Bible every day. Uh, Or number four, Pastor Phil's uh, and Brenda's group, uh, doing life with your adult children. If you're in that stage of life where your kids are now grown and you're wondering how we can parent them well, uh, join with others that are in that same stage. If you missed it the last time uh, that group was going, we've brought it back. We hope you get in it. Or not only parenting adult children, but how about parenting your 
teenagers. On Thursday night when our middle school gathering is happening, uh, adults you can gather to, uh, for the parents of teens group as well. Group for moms, another Bible study with Ivan. Uh, and then Ron and Marilyn are bringing back the restaurant tour group. Uh, let me just ask you by a show of hands, how many of you hate cooking? Anybody? You hate cooking? Yes, more than, yes, more than last service. I don't know if that correlates to anything, but uh, if you hate cooking, we have a group for you. You want to like to eat out? That's what I should have asked instead. How many of you like to eat out? That's, yes, there it is. Look, you all signed up for a group. It's fantastic. Uh, you can join them. What they do is every week they try out a different restaurant in the area. They'll take your suggestions. You go with them. And then you talk about Sunday's message. And they have a couple questions. What'd you hear on Sunday? Let's chat about it. Let's talk about it uh, together. So that's that one. Or finally, Financial Peace University. Listen, gas prices, inflation, literally everything else has gone up. Um, if you would say, I want to be headed into the holidays, which are right around the corner, knowing that financially I have peace of mind, I know where I stand, and I have a map forward for the future. I would encourage you, maybe because of the economy, everything that has happened, maybe now would be a great time to join this group and to come around others who are also learning and growing through the same way. So sign up. Uh, you have a couple of weeks to do this. Actually, some of these groups have already started. Some start this week. So make sure you look through that and get signed up today and get in a life group. All right. Today we're uh, continuing our Seek and Save series where this series is revealing the heart of God, how he feels about us and the world, what he's doing actively up to in the world. And then we, if we're followers of Jesus, if we follow him, we should be doing what he's doing. So we're learning about how we seek and save. The first week was the prodigal son. And the second week was looking down on others. Last week was Zacchaeus. Uh, you can always go back and watch those or listen to the podcast. As if Zacchaeus wasn't hard enough to spell or to say, Today, we're looking at the story of a man named, would you try this with me? What's his name? Anybody? Mephibosheth. Yes, that's it. Mephibosheth is his name, okay? Uh, this week, I, I put that in front of my wife, and I was like, hey, say this name for me. And she was like, Mephibosheth. And I said, here's, here's a pro tip for you if you're like reading at your Bible study. Pro tip from a guy who reads a lot of biblical names. Just sound really confident and say it really quickly. Mephibosheth. See that? That's how you do it. And so now it's pro tip for you the next time you're in Bible study. Mephibosheth, we're going to look at his story today. I don't normally do this. I normally just kind of go verse by verse as we walk through it. But today, I want to read you the entire story. So if you're here and you're willing and able, would you stand with me uh, just to honor the reading of God's word today? Would you stand with me? After we sit down, you can go to 2 Samuel 9. This is where this is found, and we'll be uh, here all day so you can follow along. Hear these words. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then said to him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked him. And lo, Debar, Ziba told him, in the home of Micker and Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Micker's home. His name was Mephibosheth, and, and he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. 
Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Do not be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me in the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and produce for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the Lord's, or at the king's table. Would you pray with me? God, as we look at this scripture today, at this story, God, I pray that your spirit would make it come alive to us again, that you would teach us something new, a new perspective of how you see us, or a new perspective of how we should live in this world. Speak to us in these moments. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Mephibosheth. Today, I want to look at this story from three perspectives. You see, first of all, when I read that, some of you are like, that was a longer story, and when we read scripture, maybe you read it just as I did. You take a big chunk of scripture, like, okay, here's some more events, here's where some people, some things happened, and then you get done with it, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll read the next chapter tomorrow when I read the Bible. Like, I don't really know what to do with that. It's kind of a story. And sometimes that happens when we read the Bible, we should still read it and try to learn and understand but also when we read, here's what I want you to do. Say, God, can you show me something new? Show me your character. What are you trying to tell me in and through this story? Or, God, after reading this, how should I live based on this? And those are the other two perspectives I want to give you today. First of all, looking at how God views you by looking and putting ourselves in the shoes of Mephibosheth. And it's clear from the very beginning of this story. It appears the goal in this story is to bring fellowship into God's family. But the kindness of the king turns enemies into friends, into family, by inviting them to the table. The story begins by David asking, is there anyone whom I can show kindness to? Here's what I believe. God has created everything that we see. And he's created us, humanity, uniquely in his image and likeness because he desires a relationship with us. And most of us have turned our back on him, or all of us have at some point. Most of us may be not living for him, but I believe God is out searching and seeking. Is there anybody I can show kindness to? Is there anyone who wants to turn towards me, have relationship, my blessing, my favor? Is there people out there who want to receive my kindness? Just in the story, they say, actually, yes, there is one in Saul's line. His name is Mephibosheth. He's still alive, but he's been crippled in both feet. See, in the story, we don't read it here. We see it somewhere else. 
King Saul, his grandfather, is the king, and Jonathan, um, Mephibosheth's dad, um, they are at war. And the war actually begins to come closer and closer to home. Uh, it's on the home front, pressing in near their house. And so one day the fighting gets so intense that Jonathan and Saul are out to war, and the servant picks up Mephibosheth to run away from their attackers. And so they're running, and as she is holding this five-year-old boy, she drops him. And when she drops him, he becomes crippled in his legs for life. And that's how he becomes crippled. I believe God is out searching the world. Is there anyone who would come to me? And some of us, I wonder, have we been crippled? You know, I get to stand up here, which is a fun perspective because I get to look out and see all of you. And a lot of you, I've begun to get to know you a little bit, some of your stories. Uh, and sometimes, most of the time I'm even maybe, uh, things happen to us that maybe aren't our fault. Maybe like Mephibosheth, as a young child, something happened in life uh, that was unfair and shouldn't have happened to you. And you're crippled, maybe, because of that trauma. And maybe haven't fully healed. Or as I look out and I hear, begin to hear your stories, maybe someone dropped the ball in your life. Maybe someone was absent. You know, you read Mephibosheth's story. His mother is never mentioned in any of the chapters, any of the accounts of his life. She wasn't there. I wonder how many of us have people that were missing in life, or maybe they were there, but because they were there, their influence harmed us. It was hurtful. We haven't experienced healing. We may be full-grown adults, but some way, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, we come a little crippled. And sometimes that can cause us to come to God and say, God, would you really want me? Do you know what I've done, or do you know what's happened to me? But friends, let me tell you, our deformities don't deter God in his pursuit of us. Our brokenness doesn't scare God away. Our trauma doesn't stop him from loving us. There's nothing that we could ever do or something that has been done to us to stop God from seeking us out to save us because God wants to heal us, to redeem us, to restore us, to renew us and make us whole again. He isn't running away from you. Actually, he is running towards you. And this story, the one who is crippled immediately reads, so David sent for him. God still wants relationship with us. He's still a seeking and saving God who brings grace and mercy to those who are misfortunate or left behind or lost. So when we approach God then, what's our attitude? Because here, here, here's my hunch. Oftentimes we can come and hear stories, well, God loves you, it doesn't matter what you've done, he cares for you, he wants a relationship, but maybe for some of us, it was a church we grew up in, it was a comment we heard from somebody, we still come to God with a different attitude. We don't recognize God in this way. We think if we're anything less than perfect, he won't want anything to do with me. Here's what's interesting from Mephibosheth. I want you to put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. So you, you hear an invitation one day. Hey, King David wants to come, he wants you to come and be in his presence. Maybe even eat at his table. David is summoning you. Now hold on a second. Mephibosheth is the one in line for the throne. Do you realize that? His grandpa was the king, and then it would have been his dad. He's mixed up in line. And if a, the guy who took the king's seat is asking for your presence, what's he asking for? He's not asking for kindness. 
No, he's looking to find you. Kings don't show kindness. Kings eliminate bloodlines. So you hear this invitation, oh, come in. And if you're Mephibosheth, I, I have to wonder. Like, I wonder if he looks up to God and he says, God, look at my life. It has not been easy. Where have my parents or my parents have been deceased? God, I've been crippled. It wasn't even my fault. Life is unfair. How did I get here? And now I'm going to be carried into the king's presence and meet my end. Is this really how it's going to go? So when he walks into the presence of the king, what do you think he's feeling? You can see it from the story, how, what, how he refers to himself. Well, I, I'm your servant. And David needs to say, don't be afraid, because you can guess. He probably should be afraid. And the next verse he goes on and says, what are you doing with me, a dead dog like me? Which I don't know how you view yourself. I don't know how you talk to yourself. Can I tell you, friends, today, don't view yourself as a dead dog, okay? How did I get here? What do you want to do with me? He is afraid. Friends, how many of us, when we come to God, still, for some reason, have this same attitude? God, I'm, I'm entering into your presence. I've heard that you want a relationship with me. I've heard, but when I come in, honestly, I feel like you're going to strike me down. God, don't you see how hard my life is anyway? It's been unfair. It's difficult. There's difficult people in my life. My kids are crazy. My boss at work. It's hard enough. And when I come into your presence, I think I have to be perfect. What do you want from me? So we're afraid. But yet, how does God treat us? He says, no, I have intended to show you kindness because of my promise. So therefore, I will give you property or provision, and you will eat here with me. You will have my presence. So when we come to God, he says, no, it's not that. I want a relationship with you. I want to show you kindness. I want to show you grace. I know you haven't earned anything. That's the point. I still want you here. Here is grace. Come and let me be kind. Let me give you a provision. He tells the servants to go farm the land so he'll always have enough. We have a future provision waiting for us. And in the meantime, we have presence, a seat at the table with God. This is how God treats us. So it goes on. I love this. From that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. We come with our brokenness. We come crippled. Yet God invites us to a table. And I want you to think communion that we'll receive later. Communion, communication with God, community with the family of brothers and sisters. In a time and day and age where we are so isolated and lonely, he says, no, come and eat at my table. I will call you son. I will call you daughter. And you have a family of brothers and sisters. Come to the king's table. And it ends with this. Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the table, spent time with the king. Friend, I don't know if it's you today, but I felt like in my heart I knew it was at least one person that's here today. Maybe God would challenge you this week to change your perspective of how he thinks of you. When you think of God and how God feels towards you, what comes to mind? Is it fear, hatred, measuring up? What if God wants to give you grace? Oh, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what's happened to you. Come. I want to make you whole. Come to my table. Come home. Maybe for some of us today, that will be a response. And finally, I want to go through this story one more time from a 
third perspective. Now, most of you in this room, like I said, I've known you. You've been Christians longer than I've been alive. I realize that. You may haven't heard a sermon on Mephibosheth in a while because you don't hear that very often. Uh, but you're like, Galen, I, I see what you've done here. You've, I see the gospel in the Old Testament, the story of Jesus. It's wonderful. I kind of knew that. kind of know God loves me. Wonderful. But then, if we follow Jesus, how do we live differently? If you have a relationship with God, it should change how you live. So I want to look at this story one more time and look at David. If this is what God is doing, then how do we follow as well? It begins, David says this, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for? Again, if you are in David's presence and he says, hey, is anybody in Saul's family still alive? You're like, oh, David, I know what you've got in mind. We're going to make sure your reign is secure, right? That's what we're doing. We're taking care of business. And he says, oh, I want to show them kindness. Like, kindness, David, I know what you mean. That's right. We'll go find him. That's right. But what if David comes to a place, and, and at this point, he's become king. He's had military conquest. There's relative peace in the land. What if when we encounter God and he begins to change us, he gives us his joy, his peace, his patience, and we love life with God. We don't just say, oh, me and God are good. Can't wait for next Sunday. Can't wait for my life group. But what if we begin to actively live on mission, asking the question, is there anybody in this world that I could show kindness to? And I love this. Can I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? I made a promise to Jonathan that his family, my family, we would always be friends forever. What if we asked, is there anybody in this world that we could show kindness to for God's sake? That they might be able to see the love of God in and through us practicing kindness. And I think this kindness, there's two sides of it. And the first one is forgiveness instead of revenge. Now here's the thing with David. Saul was the king when David was growing up. Saul, head and shoulders, I told you that last week, beautiful man, he is the warrior king, everybody looked up to him. But God knew his heart was not right with God. He was turning away from God. And so he told Saul, your kingdom will be stripped from you and given to another. Meanwhile, the, the prophet goes and finds David, and, and God says, this is the next king. So they anoint him. He's like a, a rugged teenager who hasn't showered for a little while, been out with the sheep in the wilderness. This is the next king. Now think about this from Paul's perspective. So king, or, uh, one day David shows up at a battle, takes a stone, flings it, kills a giant, gets famous. If you're Saul, you're like, who's that little teenager who got lucky with a giant? And then David starts leading armies and, and destroying people, and the women are singing songs in the streets. Oh, King Saul, he's so great. He's killed his thousands of people. And if you're Saul, you're like, I like this song. More, please. Oh, and then there's David who's killed his tens of thousands. You're like, this is a terrible song. Stop singing right now. Who is this young man? Oh, he's coming for my daughter's hand in marriage. I'm going to set the bride price really high, and I'm going to keep uh, church PG today, but you can go read your Bible and go read what that bride price was. And David comes back and has actually doubled it. Who's this little showboat? And so Saul gets fed up with him. And when David's in his presence, Saul takes spears and throws them. He tries to murder David multiple times. David is on the run. He's hiding in caves. Saul is actively with his army, not hunting other people, no, hunting his own, hunting David to try to kill him. Now, if you were David and you had the opportunity to take matters into your own hands, God's told you you're going to be king, and this guy is obviously not a good king, maybe it's my time. 
It's my time to reign and rule. God said it was going to happen. If he would have taken justice into his own hands, no one would have blinked. Man, he's tried to kill you multiple times. You deserve it, David. Go ahead. But David, being a radical man of integrity, knows that it's not only about arriving at the right place, but it's about how you get there and doing it the right way. Doesn't take justice into his own hands. He had an opportunity where he was literally right behind Saul with a knife and could have done it. And his advisors were telling him, do it. And he didn't. So, if there was ever a man who was angry, could have been angry, could have uh, been vengeful, could have taken justice in his own hand, been justified doing it, it was him. But yet, David shows forgiveness instead of revenge. So Mephibosheth, come in here. Oh, it's finally time. It's payback has come. It's time. No, I give you kindness, showing forgiveness instead of revenge. Friends, what does that look like for you? And I don't know if it's a, a family member who's made side comments that it's starting to like embitter your soul and you get caught on it. Maybe at work, uh, someone betrayed you. Betrayed you on a business deal. Betrayed your friendship. Betrayed your trust. Who has hurt you? It's probably not attempted murder like in the story, yet you are hurt anyway. How do you choose to respond? Maybe, like in this story, you could be justified in saying that comment back. Speak your mind. Tell them what it is. And everybody in your life say, it's okay. They deserved it. But Jesus calls us to something different instead. Forgiveness instead of revenge. Leviticus says it this way. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Romans says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. This term righteous is a legal term, like justified. Do you trust that God will make it right one day? Leave it to him. Don't take revenge. Instead, forgive. And finally, from 1 Peter, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Mm. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We turn the cheek as followers of Jesus. Be kind, show kindness, forgive instead of revenge. The second piece of showing kindness is not just not taking revenge. It's by actively going and showing radical, loving generosity. Practically, we as Christians, when we receive forgiveness, it should change how we then relate to other people, showing them kindness. And I would say it this way. I want us to give Christianity a good name. Here's why I say this. Some of you in this crowd, uh, you're part of the boomer generation. When you were in your 30s, six of 10 of you were in church. In my generation, three of 10 in their 30s are in church. And the generation to come, it's projected to be at 1.5. So with young people today, you say, oh, I'm a Christian. They don't be like, wow, that's really great. Like, where do you go to church? They say, mm, I'm sorry. Because they've connected that to terrible acts that some people have performed or leaders that have let them down or one angry person with a sign and they're connecting Christianity to that. But what if through our loving kindness, 
We begin to rewrite the narrative. We'd show such loving generosity, and that would be our opportunity to show them who Jesus really is, a God who loves them and loves them through other, other humans as well. I want to tell you today, I think one of the greatest blessings that we can experience in life is growing in our generosity. I hear people, I just don't see God at work in my life. I don't see God using me with others. I don't normally jump to this step because it's kind of a big one, it feels like at the time. But I want to say, grow in your generosity. And by generosity in our time today, I mean, or in our age today, I mean both time and money. For some of us, our time is actually even more precious to us. What if we began to make margin in our time to serve other people? We began to make margin in our finances to be generous with other people. When you do this and you experience it, you use your time and you go serve someone, you bless someone financially and you see the difference it makes in their life and they tell you stories of, I was praying for this and God has answered this prayer through you, then you're like, oh, God, you are moving in my life. This is incredible. Growing in our generosity, I believe it changes our hearts. It fits in God's upside down kingdom. Jesus said, if you want to, if you try to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. I think the same thing is true with our generosity. The more we try to get and save for ourselves, the more empty we become. Yet the more we set aside to give to others, to be a loving blessing to them, the fuller life becomes for us. We see the, our purpose and God's love in the world. Uh, for me, this is what it looks like practically. Uh, I kind of like organized lists. So every year I make a um, year goal list. I put fun things on there. I put different books on there. I put crazy things on there. I go to my life goal list. I try to take one or two, put them in the year list. Uh, I love it. And every year since I started this, I've kept one. Bless five people anonymously a year. At least five. That's like and one every month and I have to. My math's not great. My lists are great. My math's not great. Um, bless them anonymously, five people. Friends, you know how fun that is? I don't know if you've done it. When you, uh, maybe the simplest one is like a meal at the table where you can like see them, but they don't know you paid for it, and you're like awkwardly looking at them out of the corner of your eye, and they're like, this is amazing, somebody paid for our dinner, oh, this is so great. Or I had a friend who I knew he wanted a book, and it was a Jesus book that I knew would be super good for him, and so, you know, Amazon has a thing, gift receipt, where you can just send it, they don't know who it's from, and you post on social media, there's, this is so cool, there are still thoughtful, intentional, and loving people in the world. You know what that does for me? I'm like, oh, this is so great. I think we should practice generosity anonymously. I would also, and Jesus said that too, by the way. More than that, I also think sometimes we should do it not anonymously. And here's why. It gives us an opportunity. When you practice generosity, when you practice kindness, it will always bring a statement or a question that will follow, and we need to be ready for it. David practices this kindness with Mephibosheth. You know how he responds? He says, he bows respectfully and exclaims, who is your servant, who am I, that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? It's both a statement and a question. When you practice generosity, not anonymously, they know who did it, and you're face to face, most of the time they will make a statement or they, they will ask a question. Why would, why would you do this? People don't do this. Why would you go out of your way? How did you notice why did you do this? And this is your opportunity. And I, we could answer with like, well, I'm just a really great person. That's right, that's why I did it. You could answer like teenagers when you tell them to do something, they're like, yeah, I did it, it was fine, but it's because mom made me do it. You could be like, Pastor Galen told me I had to. No, you're not gonna do that. 
But what if instead you responded, I believe that there's a God who loves you, so I love you too. Super simple. Or maybe if you had the words for it, man, God has lovingly, generously given his life for me. It's changed my life. I believe he loves you too. And I want to show you God's love through me. You may not have all those words, but could you simply say, why'd you do this? I believe that God loves you. You see what that does for the name of Christianity? You see what it does with the relationship with you? Then they get curious. Why are you different? Oh, because God has changed me, and I think he can change you too. Let me let you into my mind a little bit on strategically. I told you this a couple weeks ago. We have Food Truck Sunday in just a couple weeks. We'll combine our services in this service. Um, afterwards, we'll have food trucks out in the parking lot. We want to buy everybody lunch. If we're going to talk about being generous, we need to practice generosity as a community. It's for us to connect with one another, but maybe even more importantly than that, this is the Sunday service. If you're ever going to invite your coworker, if you're ever going to invite your neighbor, this is the one, and you invite them. What if leading up to that Sunday, you got the card last week where you've been praying for these three people to come and find Jesus. If you lost that card, they're on your way out today. If you weren't here, grab it on your way out. They're by the doors. Grab a pen and the card. Intentionally praying for three people to come to find Jesus. You're praying for them. Then this week, you're practicing generosity with them, doing something to bless them. And why are you doing this? You're different. Ah, oh, he's doing this thing at my church. However you respond. And then in three weeks, you say, come to Food Truck Sunday. Lunch is on me. We'll hang out afterward, eat some food, sit around, and talk. Do you see, how do, how do you think they'll respond in those moments? We're creating an environment where the f- people that are far from God could come and experience his love through his community. Again, it appears in this story that the goal of this story is to bring fellowship into God's family. God accepted us when we were once lost. The kindness of the king turns enemies, as once we were enemies to God, into family as brothers and sisters. So as we live differently now, we show the kindness of the king to others that turns them into family by inviting them to the table, inviting them into relationship with God. You know, I I entitled this message today, Seeing the Broken which may not seem to fit what I've said so far. Here's the challenge for us. In this context in our society, maybe one of the greatest sins of an upwardly mobile, suburban kind of church and people is that we isolate ourselves away from brokenness. And the people all around us that are hurting, lost, or they've made very public failures, and we'd say, eh, we'd rather not deal with it. And I'm not passing judgment. I think it's all of us. We have a family member we'd rather not just address. There's the disabled or the poor or the widow, the person who's unloved, the person's hard to talk to, so we ignore them. What does it mean to see their brokenness? Do you realize David never had to reach out to Mephibosheth? He could have lived on, no one would know about it, but he chose to. What does it look like for us to see the broken, not dismiss them, but instead invite them to what God wants to do in their life? Are we willing to do that? What if, and this is my hope, and I think about pastoring this church in the years to come, I want us to be a community that actually practices this. That isn't just, well, I come on Sunday, the music's great, the talks, meh, sometimes it's okay, it's fun, I, I like going on Sundays. To instead, Man, I love this place. I feel like we go in, we get refilled, and then when we leave, we leave on mission to show people how much God loves them, to practice kindness, 
to be a community of generosity. Man, that's the group of people that went and did that really great thing for those people. Or the individuals in that community, what if the people in these seats yeah, I first started coming when so-and-so did this for me. I first started coming when that neighbor walked across the lawn and struck up a conversation. I started coming because they were so generous to me. I want us to be a community that points people to Jesus. Why are you doing this? Oh, I like to do good things. Jesus has changed me, and I think he can change you too. A community that doesn't ignore brokenness. A community that invites all people to God's presence and his provision. A community that welcomes those with a backstory, says, it's okay, pull up a chair. You're welcome here too. Welcome to the king's table. You're made a son, you're made a daughter. He has all that we need, and now you are brother and sister to me. A community that ultimately joins with Jesus to seek and save the lost. In just a moment, we will receive communion together. If you didn't uh, get the elements on your way in there, outside the doors, you can feel free if you want to, uh, to go grab one now. But here's what the picture is that I want you to see as we receive together. Last verse here, 2 Samuel 9, 13. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, and you too, friend, I don't know what it is for you, but are crippled maybe in some way, who can live in Jerusalem, the city of God where God's presence dwelt, and eat regularly at the king's table. You can think communion, communication with God, community with his family, living life with the God who loves you, regularly coming back and enjoying all the goodness and fullness of life that he gives us. The band is gonna play uh, a song in just a moment, carried to the table. Friends, Mephibosheth carried with broken feet. Maybe you feel like you have been carried into the king's presence. But he doesn't look at you angry. He doesn't look at you mad. Oh, he wants to show you kindness. I want you to pray as you hold the elements. I'll come back in just a moment and we'll receive them together. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the first Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the App Store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.